This is a teaching message from Church of the Living Water of Austin. Okay, so actually I was, um, as we began a teaching some months back on understanding authority, understanding authority in the church and understanding how to stay under authority in the church. And that's where we began. And, uh, and I want to continue because last week we began my portion, which was uh, the, uh, the different types of authority violations in the church. And that's where we want to continue. And we want to do a review. I did like promise and like I promised I made available my notes for you guys because, uh, you know, I was... Uh, I didn't remember until I was listening to the message today and I said, uh, I promise I'll give you my notes next week. And I'm like, oh my God, I hadn't sent my notes. So I thought I'd send my notes up there. But like I said last uh, Sunday, it's hard sometimes for me to stick with my notes, but I will do my best for you guys to stay with what I have up there. So we begin. I want you to go to the book of Psalms, chapter 62, and then find two other passages of Scripture, which is Matthew 28, 16 through 20. And Acts chapter 1. So let's go to Psalms. You know what? Y'all go to Matthew 28 and Acts 1. I'll go to Psalms 62. Does that sound good? So that you won't have to go back and forth. And we are going to take our time. I am going to do some review because I think the first part of it is very important to understand. Because we want to understand what, what does it mean to violate Authority, because we're going to talk about the different violations of authority in the local church and the body of Christ in general. We want to talk about those different violations of authority, not specifically per se each one of those violations that we'll stay on. We'll mention them, but we're not going to stay on them. And, uh, you know, lots of times these classes like this start sounding like A and C because you're ministering. And I, and I believe this about our ministry. I believe we're a ministry that develops leaders. We're not a ministry that just, you know, we're going to have a one-time preachings. Usually, we're, we're teaching subjects for a, a substantial amount of time so that people can get it. So, we're making disciples. So, when you're in Matthew chapter 28 and Acts chapter 1, say amen. And I'm going to get there real quick and put my ribbon there. And then we'll run Acts chapter 1 for me. So, Psalm 62. And I will read that starting... At verse, let's start at verse 11. I'm going to start there. It says, and we're just going to read that passage of Scripture. God has spoken once. Twice have I heard this. The power belongeth to God. Matthew chapter 28. Matthew chapter 20. We'll probably read these again, but I want to read them. Chapter 28, starting at verse 16. It says, and let's read together. I like what we did on Sunday. Let's do it again so those that are listening on streaming, they could actually hear what some of us reading our word. So, verse 16, ready, read. Then the eleven disciples went away into Galilee, into a mountain where Jesus had appointed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, 
teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Acts chapter 1. And we'll read this too, because there's eight verses that I want to read, so it'll be do you good, it'll keep you focused. So starting at verse chapter one, verse one. Ready, read. The former treaties have I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach, into the day in which he was taken up, after that he, through the Holy Ghost, had given commandments unto the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom also he showed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs, being seen of them forty days, and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God, and being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which saith he, You have heard of me. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. When they therefore were come together, they asked of him, saying, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? And he said unto them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father hath put in his own power, but ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost is come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. We began this teaching and I made this statement and it should be up there. It is impossible to speak about authority. It's impossible to speak about authority without speaking of humility and submission and pride and rebellion. And the reason I said that is because authority itself demands a response. Authority will always... Res- and, and you know, you know, when you're met with authority, you're challenged to do one or two things. Obey or disobey. You're challenged to throw an attitude. You're challenged to rebel. You're challenged to disobey. You're challenged to do all those things. And then depending on if that authority strikes a nerve, you're actually challenged to respond. Because authority is always going to make you respond in some way, form, or fashion. It's, that's what authority does. Authority demands a response and it will provoke one of these attitudes, which is humility and submission, pride and rebellion. All authority, remember, has been established by God and authority does not permit anyone to do what is right in their own eyes. I like that. And I made mention of this in the book of Judges where the, the scripture says that people did that which was right in their own eyes because there was no king in the land. God had not established a king. So you know that God is always wanting to establish authority. He always wants authority there from the very beginning. And, uh, and, and because to me, it's like when Minister Hill was talking about it, he said, when was authority established? And he talked about in the beginning and he went to the beginning and it's so interesting that God the moment God comes into the picture because he's always been there's always been authority from the very beginning God leaves nothing and I like that because it says he established it because no one is permitted to do that which is right in their own eyes so we can never say oh I'm doing what I want to do or I'm I am how, what is that I am uh, doing me or I'm living me I'm doing what I want that is with authority that never flies we only do what authority commands or has already laid out for us to do. That's the only thing that's pleasing to God. Everything else is, is our own amount. And you know, we can be, and I think that's why the scripture says in Jeremiah, it says, man, uh, the heart of man is deceitful above all things. And it says, who can know it? And God says, I search the hearts. 
I know what's in there. So, so we can display something and God sees beyond that and says, that's rebellion. That's disobedience. Because He's all authority and it's not. I love that because nothing is hidden in, in His eyes. Nothing. That's why, that's why it's so important that we as believers, me and you, that we're just totally sincere with our God. Laying everything. When I, and I told you this, even on Sunday, you lay it all before your God. Everything about you. Because He already knows it. He knows the things that you struggle with. He knows those things. So authority is there not only to command, but He is there to, to instruct, to protect. Because under authority, and I told you this, under authority you're going to find all sorts of blessings. And those blessings have to do with your peace, your understanding, your development. See, authority, think about it. Parents are not just given to you so that you know they, they can give you anything you want. Parents are there to instruct you, to demand to, to to some things of you, to guide you, to protect you, to provide for you. Those are the same, the same benefits that we're getting in the kingdom of God. Authority always provides benefits. Being under authority. But the choice is us. And I, I love that illustration that I gave you on Sunday regarding the vehicle and the driver, how authority works. Authority... You're that driver. You're driving the vehicle, but the vehicle is the means by which God gets you to the place where He needs you to be. And He can use anyone in your life. Any, any, those in a delegated authority, He uses as vehicles. But we are the ones that are driving, and God's Word, he's, even though He's ultimate authority, He leaves us that navigation system that directs us and shows us where we need to be when we're out of line, when we're in the wrong lane. But you're still the driver. You're still one going to say, am I going to go there or I'm not? See, so and I told you, that sum total of your life, where you are today, it's because you've driven. That's where you've driven yourself. You've come to that place. And, and then you've got to ask yourself, have I submitted to the Word of God? So we, we come to this. When dealing with authority in the church, you must always remember that it's always God you're dealing with. It's never man you're dealing with. Even though you see the man, you're never dealing with them. Your dealings are not specifically with them. And I think, I think what you've got to understand, you physically deal with them, but your heart is not dealing with them. Your heart is dealing with God. Because remember, authority demands a response. They tell you something, and I, and I, and I, and I told you this illustration last week. I, am aggressive. I'm, I, I can be an aggressive driver. So authority to me... Is the example that was given to me, the authority is, is that driver that gets in front of you and slows you down. And you're like, now what are you doing? I'm trying to get to a place. I'm trying to get somewhere. Move out of the way. And, and, and to tell you the truth, they're probably going exactly the, the mileage that they need to go. And they're not... And, and, and then your, your authority also... The authority can also be that person that, that, that's right behind you and it's causing you to push you forward and you're not going where you... And you're like, I'm not going anywhere. You're going around. I'm not, I'm not moving. I go, what do you want? You know, in this rearview mirror, I'm not going anywhere. This is where I'm standing. Those are the attitudes that we develop, that we have. You know, you can have also, especially when you're driving, you know, you can have certain attitudes. It's like, I'm going to get to a place and people better get out of my way. And you're all outside of authority. But that's because... Those are the attitudes that I want to address. Not necessarily the specifics that we're going to get to. But the goal of the teaching, I, re- I remember bringing this up to you, the goal of the teaching is to bring, us to bring us to a deeper reverence and passion for the things of God. We want a deeper reverence and passion for the things of God in your homes and also in this local ministry. 
and I make mention, even though I'm not going to get to there in the teaching, because that's coming up, how the how authority affects your, your seed, how being under authority and how being out from an authority affects your seed. But I never can go away from Saul and his Saul and his son Jonathan. I can never get away from that because authority affects the seed. It's interesting that how, regardless of how great your relationship, and, I, and I'll touch it and I'll leave it, how great your relationship is with those in authority, if your parents is all out of whack, all somewhere else, it's, it's so interesting how he was so tied with David, he made a covenant with David, but he would not follow David. He stayed with his father to his detriment. He lost his life staying with his father. But to me, I always wondered, was his heart always with David? And, and then, and then we, we, we ask ourselves, you know, and especially if we're those that, that say things that we shouldn't say to our children, that put things in front of our children that we shouldn't put, but we bring them here and we bring them here all the time, and all of a sudden, they, live some, they, they, they respond in a certain way that you're like, How, where did that come from? But you planted that in them. You know, you 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 got to ask yourself: If I submit to, how do I submit? If you're a parent, you got to ask yourself: How do I submit to authority? And then you have to look at your children and examine them. Do they do they submit the same way that I do? Do they say the same things that I do? Do they comment the same way? Do they have the same responses that I do? Then you have to you have to remember. That, and it's so you're going to see it tonight. It's interesting that regardless of what you do, God already knows what you're going to do. He already knows. I love it. Like, for example, you know there's certain people that were rejected in the Bible and some people that were accepted in the Bible. And God rejects no one because He wants to reject them. He does, there's always something there that causes God to look over somebody or pass them by or reject them. Always an attitude there that was, that's prevalent. It's there. You know, and people may say, well, why did God choose them but didn't choose them? God already knew their attitudes even before that. I love, and I go back to Eliab with David. David, when God chose David, when Samuel anointed David, he said, God, God has already rejected Eliab. He didn't even, he looked past Eliab. He looked at every brother because he already knew David's heart from the beginning. But he still had to be positioned at a certain place. And that's what we want to work out with your children, positioning them right so that they can be chosen by God. Remember, God does the choosing. We just position them. So our objectives, and I'm going to slow down, to understand what authority commands of all believers in the local church. And we addressed that last week and we'll address it again. To understand what authority commands of all believers in the local church. That's objective number one. Objective number two was to examine different types of violations of authority who and what the violators are coming against and what is at the very heart of authority violations. Again, we'll repeat that. To examine different types of authority violations, who and what the violators are coming against and what is at the very heart of authority violations. Number three, we want to look at the reward of being under authority and the consequences sorry, of being from out from under it. Again, we want to look at the rewards of being under authority and the consequences of being out from under it. And lastly, we're going to deal with how to repent. So, what does authority... After we read these scriptures, and we're going to go over them again, what does authority command in the church? So, as we look at Matthew, and I want to paraphrase it because we did read it. When we look at Matthew, and I made mention of this last week, 
any time authority comes or somebody comes up or anybody in your life and just tells you, I'm, char- I'm in charge, I'm running things today, I've been left responsible for this, I, you know, whatever they may say, and you are called to a general assembly, a, a, a meeting, when somebody tells you they're in charge, they're not just going to tell you they're in charge and sit down. They're going to tell you they're in charge and they're going to give you a command They're going to give you an order. They're going to give you instructions. They're going to give you some kind of outline. They're going to give you some boundaries. They're going to tell you what's going on. Authority always does that. Because authority sets boundaries. So, right here, when Jesus came on the... And this is when Jesus rose from the dead. And I made mention, the very first two commands that he gives has to do with exousia and dunamis. He gives. He comes. He comes on the scene in, John, in, in Matthew, and I say comes on the scene after his resurrection, and Acts breaks it down for us because all of this happened within the forty days. These are not different. This all happened within that time frame because Acts tells us that during the he showed himself within forty days and showed him gave, through many infallible proofs, and he talked to them about the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. So in these conversations, Jesus is laying out a command, and he first tells them. All exousia, the right to rule, has been given to me. I have the right, I have the right to command, I have the right to instruct. He said, All exousia has been given unto me in heaven and earth. Go ye therefore and make disciples of all men, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things which I have commanded, and lo, I am with you always. And then he still, within these conversations, he asks when he tells them to go wait, go wait in Jerusalem until they be endued with the power from on high. He says, because you shall receive dunamis. You're going to receive the ability to get the job done that I have already commanded you. I've already told you I have all exousia. For that reason, go therefore. And then Acts, he tells you, you're going to receive this dunamis power. So within these instructions of telling him, when authority tells him, he gives him these instructions. And I told you, that is the command for the church. And we made mention in the past, that is the command. So, the reason I brought you this, in this Hebrews chapter 1, I want you to go there. Hebrews chapter 1. And this is just review, but I want to actually hit on this a little bit once more. Hebrews chapter 1. Hebrews chapter 1. Let me get that. I know you're probably already there. Hebrews 1. There you are. Starting at verse 1. It reads, God, who at sundry times and in divers manners spake in times past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. Now, I made this statement. If Jesus the Christ, the Son of God, is the authority who now speaks in the church, it is interesting to note that in the passages of scriptures found in Matthew and in Acts, the very first command given by ultimate authority has to do with the commission, the purpose, and empowerment of the church. It has to do with that. So, and then and you may say, I told you, that's well, that was the commission and the, the, the command to the apostles. But Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19 through 22 says that we're founded upon the, the we're, that, we're, that we're built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets. 
Jesus Christ being the chief cornerstone. So we don't have a different assignment or a different command that the apostles have. So if this is the very first command, it's very important for us to pay attention to it. So I made, I made this statement that the reason why I made it, because I want you to go to Ephesians 2 before I make this statement. Ephesians chapter 2, and then we're going to run. Ephesians chapter 2. And that's going to be the, the bulk of our, our, uh, of our review. But Ephesians chapter 2. Let's start at verse 11. Ephesians 2. And I know we're going to do a lot of reading because I want you to I want you to be I want to, I want you to see what I'm seeing. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 11. Wherefore remember that you being in times past gentiles in the flesh who are called uncircumcision by that which is called the circumcision in the flesh made by hands that at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who sometimes were afar off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. For He is our peace, who has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of partition between us, having abolished in His flesh the enmity even the law of commandments contained in ordinance for the making himself of twain one new man so make in peace in hath, and, and that he might reconcile unto God both in one body by the cross having slain the enmity thereby and came and preached peace to you which were afar off and to them that are nigh for through him we both have access by one spirit into the Father now therefore verse 19 you are no more strangers and foreigners but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom all the building fitly framed together groweth into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom all ye also are builded together for inhabitation of God through the Spirit. We're almost done. Verse 1. For this cause I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ for you Gentiles, if you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God, which is given to me to you word, how that by revelation he made known to me the mystery as I, as I wrote afore in a few words, whereby when you read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, which in other ages was not made known unto the sons of men, as it is now revealed unto his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ by the gospel. Wherefore, I was made a minister, and I like this, verse 8, we're going to stop there, because... What I wanted you to understand that everything he commanded at the beginning in Matthew chapter 28 and in Acts 1 brings it to a place where he says, I am going to build my church by the gospel. This is how I'm going to build my church. It's by this message, this gospel message. So I told you, so all violations of authority, when it has to do, will be coming against, this is what I put it down, it will be coming against the process, whether directly or indirectly, of discipleship. Violations of authority, it has to do with coming against the process of discipleship, whether it's in your own life or in the life of others. So when, that's why I want you to understand that. So you won't necessarily think it's petty stuff when, when we talk about, when we say uh, your church attendance. Because I said some of the, the things that we want to address, and I made mention of these and I want to read them to you, are church attendance. You know, how we come to church. 
the preparations we have. And I may mention also how we prepare our lack of preparation when it comes down to serving. Okay, so we, we, we just come because we, we know what we need to do and we just come with what we have. Okay, our timeliness, our offerings to God, our uh, attitudes for one another. When we start thinking, well, like for example, you may think it's petty. So, they say, if you're going to be a part of an auxiliary here, you're going to be a part of this, you're going to have to go through the new members class. And it's like, you know, what's the big deal? You know, I've, bought, I've been through new members class. But the, the thing is, when we come against that with an attitude, the attitude is what I'm addressing, you're not coming necessarily against a petty rule. You're coming against the process of discipleship in your life and in the life of somebody else. Because when you don't submit to the process of discipleship in your life, you don't become who God wants you to become. And when you don't become what God wants you to become, your, your child is hindered, your wife is hindered, your husband is hindered, somebody is hindered because that process is being violated. The process is being... Not necessarily a person that you're violating, you're violating the process. Even when... If you think about it, because I, 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 was, I mentioned, mentioned this, he says... God's, God's, issue, God's acts are issued from His throne and His throne is established on His very authority. So anything God commands, really, it's for us to be under that authority. Actually, anything. So we look at tithes and offerings. And, and that's why it's important that we discipline our own lives. When I talk about waiting upon God, waiting upon God is like, Lord, I want to do it the way You want me to do it. Not necessarily the way I want to do it. Waiting upon God is not, I'm waiting for Him to give me a husband. I'm waiting for Him to give me a wife. I'm waiting for Him to give me some natural things. And He said, you need to wait on me for what I have for you. Because me personally, being under authority is being under that. Like for example, He says, where is my honor in tithes and offerings? Where is my honor? You have stolen my honor. You have come in against my authority. And you may think, well that's, those things are, you, we, you know, for example, why are you always down on me or saying to me little, about little things that we do and I made mention about the next gen about way we, the, the, what we have in process for you to be for you to be in a place of authority which is um, we call them panelists right okay panelists so you be a panelist in order for you to be a panelist there's certain uh, guidelines and things that you have to do you have to do them it's set up that way and then, but you think that's just that's not a big deal. I do it when I want to do it, and when I can't do it, I will not do it. And then, and, and you don't see that you're not answering questions, or you're not bringing something to the forefront, or you're not preparing. And I've told you, it's the difference. You can tell when somebody's prepared up here and when somebody's not, because anybody can read from something that they have on their lap. Anybody can do that. I can get somebody from the 6th, 7th, 8th grade to get up here and read something for me. But it has to do with where is your heart in it? Was your heart in it? Does your heart break when... Like, for, I ask you a question. Does your heart break when you're not prepared? Does, does it break... Does it bother you when you're not prepared? Or have you become... What, what is it? Insensitive to the Spirit of God inside your heart. It's like, well, I know how to do that. I'm good at that. I can work that. And God is like, no, no, where is my honor? Where is my fear? Remember I told you we want to develop a reverence and a passion for the things of God? We want to develop. And I say, and I say our commitment, I'm talking about ours because every one of us have room to grow in the area of commitment to Jesus Christ. Every single one of us. I can tell you this, that you've seen things about me that say, you know what? 
he can develop that. Or he can do better than that. And you know what? That's, that's a good thing. Pray for me because I need those things. But you have to understand that God is looking at your heart. And he's saying, okay, is he prepared? And remember I told you, God doesn't just overlook you because he wants to. And then it leads us right back to what we were talking last week. What is the first attitude that I want to deal with? Because remember, when you look at Satan's rebellion, the Bible says he said in his heart. He said it in his heart. It was an attitude that Satan had. And because he had that attitude, and when I tell you that authority is going to provoke one of, the, one of the things, humility, submission, or pride and rebellion. See, we want to ask, talk about what is the actual root of it. And it is pride. You have pride in your heart when you do not want to submit to authority in some way, form, or fashion in your life. There's pride. What is that pride? I want to do things my own way. I want to become what I want to become. And, they see, and that's why it's so interesting for your children. God, the, the parents are feeding you the Word of God and telling you, and in your mind, in the back of your mind, I just can't wait to get out of here. And not realizing that that is a seed of Satan. Right there, the attitude, I can't wait to get out of here to do what I want to do. To live the way I want to live. Not to be under any kind of rule. You don't realize that you're protected where you're at. You are protected. Some of you have never seen what some of us adults have seen. You, and I'm talking about you next gen. Some of you have never seen what some of us adults have seen because our parents didn't have the instructions that you have. So they left it out. But there was mercy for us. There was some grace for us because we didn't understand. And I love that, that God will look at you and say, you know, but I see your future. And I'm going to pull you out of that. I want to pull you out of something that you were never supposed to be in. You know, and, I, and I, that's why, and I tell people, I always talk about my mom, because my mom may have not known a lot of things, but one thing she knew how to do was she knew how to pray. She knew how to pray. And I would hear her in the mid-hours of the night praying and seeking God, loud praying, saying prayers for her children, each one by name, telling God what she desires, telling God what she wants. And I see the fruit of that in her children. I see the fruit of it. I see how God is good because of her prayers. But you know, you, next gen, and I'm ministering to you, you have no idea what's out there because you've been sheltered. And it's good that you've been sheltered because you're sheltered and you should realize that in this sheltering time, in this sheltering season, I should develop a heart after God. Because I am not being put with a lot of stuff that my parents were put... See, there was stuff put in me that up to this day, I still have to fight. I still have to come against. I still have to come against thoughts and things that I planted when I was 15, 16, 17 years old. That I wish that I would have never been a part of. But I was. That isn't, no, for example, but God is gracious. God is merciful. He puts me, even at that, calling me to the gospel. Calling me to, the, to, to minister His message. Even though He saw my frailties, my mistakes, the things that I would do along the way, He knew that my heart would still push to minister His word. He would still push to teach, to minister, to speak the word of God. And then, see, so you've got to understand something. When your parents tell you something, you've never been where they've been. Never been. You may understand a lot more about this world system that they understand, but you've never been where they've been. And I'm talking about electronically, you know, things that are going on, what's going on today, what's out there, social media, you understand how to do, how to do certain things, but you've never been where they've been. 
And see, and that's why you should value that with all your heart. You should value, you know, that's a value. You're going to come to realize that your parent is the best friend in your Lord, in, in this world. He, they, will, they are the best friend you will ever have. They are that. I've realized that at a younger age. My mother is my best friend. She's the best friend I've ever had in my life. Because of what she put in me and what she delivered me from and what she took away from me. Because that's who made me who I am today. By the help of God, by the mercy of God. So when we look at this, we look at the first entitlement to... to uh, first violation of authority that I want to... And it was entitlement to ministry. And I'm just going to touch on that because I want to get to the next point. Entitlement to ministry. And I made this statement. I am reserved a right to ministry. I'm reserved it. A right to ministry because I am the child of so-and-so. Or because I am reserved a right to ministry because Pastor Forrest P. Hill was my spiritual father. And I made this statement and I'm going to touch it and go because we think sometimes, and this is the way people are, People can have the attitude that I paid my dues attitude. So I don't have to work as hard no more. Because I paid my dues under pastor, under my founding pastor. So now I can relax now that Pastor uh, Alva Hill is my pastor. I don't have to work as hard. I don't have to push as hard. I don't have to do what I needed to do. And see, and then you find yourself with that attitude. And I told you, no one's grandfathered into, the, into, the, into ministry. No one's grandfathered into ministry. Anybody can be cut loose. And I gave that example. And the reason I gave that example, I told you about the nurse that was uh, given a job or was off, what, I'm sorry, was working for a small hospital and a bigger hospital came in. And this is an example of the God, uh, grandfather clause. A bigger hospital took over them and she, they, they told her anyone that's employment now has to have a degree and she did not have a degree. But because of the grandfather clause, they told her, any, you, you could still stay. We're going to keep you. You're not under this new law. You're in that old law and we're going to let you stay there. He said, but you can never advance without a degree. You just have to stay where you're at. And I told you, so she's comfortable and she stays where she's at, but let's say she stops doing her job. Does that mean they can't let her go? Because she's under the grandfather cause. No, they can let her go. She just can't advance. So if she wants to advance, she has to put in the work. So there's the same thing. Ministry, we have to put in the work. And I said this to you. We have parents in this ministry that have put in the work. And some people think because my father and my mother is so-and-so that I'm just going to be given a position of authority. And you're not going to be given anything without putting in the work. There is work to be... And I thought I gave an excellent example in, in Minister Hill. And I told you why I use Minister Hill. Because Minister Hill is not waiting to be given anything. He actually puts in the work. And you can see that. And I told you... And I have. I've actually seen how his teaching has just... He'll, he, he just ministers the Word of God freely. And, you know, and, and yes, they're studying it, but he studies. He spends time with it. And I told you, even when he ministered the joy, the truth about the joy of the Lord, and we ministered in family life about how he deals with his wife, I saw the heart of his father, the heart of a pastor. I saw that because he's putting in the time. So we're going to get to the next one. And I want you to go to number 16. And this is where new information starts. Number chapter 16. And I want you to write this because it's interesting. Well, let's read that. Let's read number 16 first because there's quite a few things we want to read there. Numbers chapter 16. And you know, you can tell. 
you really can tell when somebody has put in the work to something. It, it shows in the confidence they have, the preparedness they have. It shows in how they flow. It, just things, it's, it's, they put in the work. And you know, there is sacrifice in putting the work sometimes. There's things that you just will... And see, that's, that's the thing. I think some people are just not willing to put in the sacrifice to put in the work. It has, you know, you can desire something for, for, with a great desire, but not ever get it. And, it. and it has to do with what kind of work you're going to put into it. What are you willing to let go to get it? Some people are not willing to let go of certain things to get what God wants them to get. They're just not. You know, and, 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 and I think God sees it. God, and I don't think, I know God already knew that. So, there are certain things that may be right in front of you to get, but because your unwillingness to let go of certain things, and those things could even be a relationship. And they could be a lot of different things. The season for your relationship may not be now. It may be later. You know, and, and I'm not saying because you got married that you're sin or that because you're developing a relationship with somebody that you're in sin. I, that's, not, that's not the case at all. Because you're not in sin. But I will tell you this much. If God has a call upon your life and you're not pushing towards that, you're in sin. You're in sin because God is like... He, and the thing about it, I, I, I love this. God never stops dealing with me. He doesn't. You know, you could be at home and after, watched, after you wasted time watching a movie and you know when you wasted time watching a movie. You know when you, just, you could have been doing something else. You know when you did something and the Spirit of God is there. Or you know that when you're continuing your something, in something and you're trying to make it God. Because there's a big struggle when you're trying to make it God. I'm just trying to make this God. I'm trying to make this fit. And I'm praying and, and I'm doing this. And, and there's such a struggle and God is like, I'm not in that at all. But I'm watching you. And see, and the thing about it is those are the things we have to consider. Are we willing to do that? And I'm going to stop talking and we're going to get to number 16. Let's get to number 16 and we're going to read and we're going to get back. We're going to stay here for a while. Now, Korah, the son of Ishar, the son of Kohath. I like that. He says, now Korah, the son of Ishar, the son of Kohath, the son of Levi, and Dathan and Abiram, the sons of Eliab, and On, the son of Pelath, sons of Reuben, took men. And they rose up before Moses with certain of the children of Israel, 250 princesses of the assembly, famous in the congregation, men of renown. And they gathered themselves together against Moses and against Aaron and said unto them, You take too much upon you, seeing all the congregation are holy, every one of them, and the Lord is among them. Wherefore then lift up yourselves above the congregation of the Lord? And when Moses heard it, he fell on his face, upon his face, and he spake unto Korah and unto the company, all the company, saying, Even tomorrow the Lord will show who are his and who is holy. And he will cause him to come near unto him. Even him whom he had chosen will he cause to come near unto him. So this do, take ye censers, Korah, and all his company, and put fire therein, and put incense in them before the Lord tomorrow. And it shall be that the man whom the Lord doth choose, he shall be holy, Ye take too much upon you, ye sons of Levi. And Moses said unto Korah, Here I pray you, ye sons of Levi. 
Seemeth it but a small thing unto you that the God of Israel hath separated you from the congregation of Israel to bring you near to himself to do the service of the tabernacle of the Lord and to stand before the congregation to minister unto him? And he hath brought thee near to him and all thy brethren and the sons of Levi with thee and seek ye the priesthood also? For this cause that thou, thou and all thy company are gathered together against the Lord and what is Aaron that ye murmur against him? Let's stop right there. I'm going to go back to verse 1 because there is study in history. Uh, there's, in history, you can find a lot of different things that happen and what brought these people to a place. It's interesting how God tells us and, it's like, you, and, 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 and God, is, God does this through the Scripture. He tells us who the Father is and who their Father is. But this is interesting. He says, Now Korah, the son of Ishar, the son of Kohath, the son of Levi, and I'm going to stop there. And I told you this. Korah had issues. Korah had issues in his heart before, even long before this. There was already issues brewing in Korah's heart. And I, and I want to show you what may have been the cause. And I thank you. That, and I, look, I think that number 16 just brings it out all together. But this was in Korah's heart. Korah had the wrong heart towards ministry. He, 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 see, Korah was given, never given, Korah was never given a right to rule. He was given the privilege to serve. He was never given a right to rule. He was given a privilege to serve. I want you to write that down. Korah was not given a right to rule. He was given a privilege to serve God, worship God, and serve His people. That's the privilege that Korah was given. But Korah was not looking at the privilege. He was looking at the right he had to rule. Because he had, because naturally they, there are certain things that were going on. So we look at Kohath. Kohath was the actual father, the grandfather of Korah, the grandfather of Moses and Aaron. So let's start from the beginning. We have Levi. And Levi gave two sons, Gershon and Kohath. But we're not going to deal with Gershon's line, we're going to deal with Kohath's line. Kohath had four sons. He had four sons. And I want you to look at this. Kohath had Amram, who was the father of Moses and Aaron and Miriam. And then he had Ishar, the, third, the second son. And then he had Hebron. And then he had Uziel, the fourth son. And then from them came Ishar. Korah came from Ishar. But it's interesting, and I want you to go to Numbers chapter 3, because we're going to talk about these things and how, how this family history plays into what could have actually been happening in Korah's heart. And it's going to make sense to you. Numbers chapter 3. And I apologize. I know some of the notes I'm not staying with, but just follow me. Numbers chapter 3, verse 29. Are we there? Say amen. The families of the sons of Kohath shall pitch on the side of the tabernacle southward. So we're talking about Kohath, the father of, uh, the grandfather, the grandfather of Korah, Moses, and Aaron. The, the father of Ishar, Amram, Hebron, and Uziel. So the families of the sons of Kohath shall pitch on the side of the tabernacle southward. And the chief of the house of the father of the families of the Kohath shall be Elizaphan. I like that. It says, And the chief of the house of the father of the families of the Kohathites shall be Elizaphan, the son of Uziel. And their charge shall be the ark and the table and the candlestick 
and the altars and the vessels of the sanctuary wherewith they minister and the hangings and all the services thereof. Let's stop right there. So, did I start too early? I think I did, but that's fine. So, we got these, the, the family of the Kohathites and he's telling them you're going to be pitched right here and this is where I want you. He said, and of the father of the family, the, the, the chief of the father of the family of the house of the Kohathites shall be Elizaphan. Elizaphan came from the fourth son of Kohath, which was Uziel. He was the fourth son. So it's very, very, very interesting. It's very, how can I say, it's very likely that he was young. Because remember, it was Amram. He gave, son, he gave birth to Moses, Aaron, and Miriam. But then it was the second son, Eshar, and that's where Kohath, that's where uh, Korah comes from, from Eshar. But then he had two other sons, and the last son, he used one of his sons to be chief. And chief was a very interesting... To be chief, he governed some people. There was like 8,600 males in the family of Kohath. That's how much... There was a tribe, and this brother governed them. And their task, their responsibility, think about it, was to touch the things that were in the holy of holies, and the holy place, just the holy place, because the tabernacle consists of the outer court, the holy place, and the most holy place. But Kohath's family was given the privilege to be right in the holy of holies and to touch the items that were in there. The items that were in there was the ark, the table of showbread, the altar, the ark of the covenant, the 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 the, uh, the cherubims that covered. They had the right. Think about that. They carried. They assembled. They carried those things. They were around these things. They were in the holy place. They were in the whole. They didn't go into the holy of holies, but they touched these items and articles. They were responsible. They had care for them. And Korah despised that. Because he didn't look at his privilege that he had, he looked at his rights. He wanted a right to rule. And that's, you see that, and you may say, well, how do you get out of that? Look at his comments in Numbers chapter 16. He said, you make yourself chief over us, a prince over us. And if you keep on reading, uh, and it's so interesting, do you know that these people with the attitudes keep the right company? They keep the right company. You know that Reuben, it's the sons of Reuben, Reuben was also somebody that may have had a grudge because Reuben was rejected by God because he had went into his father's, I believe it was his concubine, and he told him, he told him in, in, in the book of Genesis, he said, he said you're not going to continue. He said, you will not because you, you, you despise me. You did something that you weren't supposed to do. And because of that, Reuben was not... The, uh, if you read, I was reading somebody, Reuben produced no rulers. No one significant Reuben proved. And, and see, these were that group that thought that they took something from me and they thought that Aaron... Because remember, they, said, they thought that Moses... They thought Moses was doing something under the table. Like, I'm choosing my son. I'm my, my brother. I'm doing this. This is my family. This is what I'm doing. This is what I'm doing. And they thought that, but they didn't realize that they were coming from the very... They were coming against the very choosing of God. See, and then you have this attitude, well, who do you think you are with people? It's like, and and you, don't, you don't understand that when God chooses... So, and I told you this, it's the parent's responsibility to position your children, but remember, God chooses based on the heart. He chooses based on the heart. So we sit there and we put everything in front of you, next gen, everything, and they put that in front of me. 
They put those things in front of me, things that, that I need to do, things that I need to address. And God sees how is He going to do it? What is He going to do with it? What, and all those things you may say, but remember, uh, uh, Korah had this privilege to be in the holy place, to touch these articles, to, be in, to, to touch the articles that was, that was in the holy of holies. He had a right and God saw how He would do them even before how he would handle He despised that. Daddy, why do you think Moses told him? Do you think this is a light thing? That you've been brought near to God? That you've been brought near to His presence? And I would say this, next gen and children of Church of the Living Water, do you think it's a light thing that God has brought you here and made you children of the parents that are in this ministry? Chose you. See, remember, it's a privilege to be a child of a parent here in this ministry. It really is a privilege to be a child. You just don't understand how great of a privilege it is for you to be a child of someone from Church of the Living Water. And then you have to understand, parents, you don't understand the responsibility that you have just because you're here. Just because you're here, you don't realize that God is saying, I've called you near and you think it's a light thing that I've called you near. And you don't want to put in the work. You understand, you don't want to actually... You might say, well, I come when I come. I'll catch the string. And I'm not saying there's anything with catching the string when you have to catch the string and you have to do what you've got to do. But are we, are we really running after God? Are we really desiring the things of God? Do we really want to change? Or are we accustomed to the people here? We're just accustomed. We're, 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 that's just who we are. You know, I thought about this with the, as a young person... Do you challenge your peers? Do you challenge your peers or do you live just like them? You know, you have your stands, you have your little handshakes, you have whatever you may have, but does your lifestyle challenge them? Or you just like them? You know, I'm just, I, I just hang with them. That's who we are. We're from Church of the Living Water and we have know all the lingos. We know what to say. We know how to act. We know what, what we're going to get by with. And we try to... We try to get as close to the world as we can without sin. You know, close to the. We try to say, well, maybe it's not so wrong. We can go out and hang out. We we know who we are. We're not going to fall into that temptation. We know who we are. We're, we're together. We can not realizing that you know who you are when you're together, but you're going to be alone one of these days, and you may not be able to stand by yourself. You may not see the thing about it. That's why. These attitudes that we have when we come forward, not realizing that those are the wrong attitudes to have. We must have the right heart attitude when we deal with the things of God. These people, and I, and I thought they had the wrong ambition. Gora had the wrong type of heart for ministry. That is why he didn't appreciate what he was privileged to do at that time. He was ambitious for more, but the wrong heart for the wrong heart reason. See, and, and that's what you got to. I, I, I don't know about you. But as a kid, and I don't know, and, and, and I've heard my pastor say this, our founding pastor mentioned this a long time ago about how God was dealing with him before when he was a child. And I remember those dealings in my life. I remember the I don't know why, but I've always had a heart for ministry. And I don't know why. I, I, I can tell you why now, because of the things that were being put in me, and I didn't realize that God was calling, and God was talking to me, and God was speaking to me. But do you ever imagine yourself? And because I'm going to be honest with you, we're not developing people that are not going to be preaching. 
when I look at you young folks, we're, we're developing preachers of the Gospels, ministers of the Gospel. We're not developing ushers. We're not, and and I'm, not, I'm not belittling anything that we do. We're not developing you to be a, 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 a professional usher or a professional you know, a, a pianist. We're not developing you to... No, those are all in line of what we do and they have to come in conformity with what we do. We do those things and we have to be excellent in them. But bottom line, we're developing ministers of the gospel. That's what we're doing. So do, and the reason I say that, do you ever imagine yourself ministering the gospel? Or I'm satisfied with where I'm at. I don't want that life. And, and the thing is, you don't realize that that's what you've been born into. You've been born into that. God is looking for you. And, see, and He'll overlook you. But He doesn't overlook for just any reason. He, think about it. He overlooked Esau for what reason? He despised a birthright. He overlooked, he overlooked uh, uh, J- uh, no, Jacob's son Reuben because he lived a certain life that he wasn't supposed to live. He despised, he, he, he overlooked certain people in the Scriptures and he wouldn't even look their way. He rejected Samuel because Samuel, what? Samuel had pride. Samuel thought he could do whatever he wanted to do. And see, and I told you that authority is established for that very purpose so that you can't do what you want to do. Nobody, up, even to my pastor down, my pastor now, she can't do whatever she wants to do. She's accountable. Even when that, that's coming against authority, she has to line up everything she does with the Scripture, with the Gospel, with the Gospel message, with discipleship, with the discipleship process. Everything has to be lined up there. That's how you are saved. That's why God stays in control because it's His message. And when you start preaching another message, it's God's like, that's not me. That's not what I called you to do. See, that's why, if you think about it, we've always been this ministry. We've always been the same ministry. Everything we do focuses around what? The Word of God. Everything we do must focus around the Word of God. And that keeps you safe. So that Word is final authority here. But once again, it's not developing you to be successful whatever you want to be in life. Now, you should be successful at what you do because you're living in this world. You should be successful at your jobs. You should advance at your jobs. But never forget that your call is to minister the gospel. That's what God has called you to do. We look at that. So you say this, and we're almost out of time, but I want to touch on this. Then we have the attitude is, what else do you want? I'm involved. What else do you want? I'm involved. I'm in ministry. I, I, I'm an usher. I'm on the panelist. I, I, I do this. I do that. But are you doing it with the right heart attitude? I'm involved. And we get down to, we touched on this on Sunday, Mary and Martha. Mary and Martha constantly are addressed about the same subject. And I tell you, God wants to bring you to a place of worship. Mary and Martha, you find it, and we're going to read this, and this should be the last thing we touch on. Mary and Martha, in the book of Luke, chapter 11, let's start it there, and we'll end with this. And this puts us in a good place to finish off next week. Luke, chapter 11. Because you can come up to the point where it's like, you know what, 
man, what are, what are they expecting? What else are they expecting? I'm already here. I'm already involved. I'm ready to do this. But are you still putting in the work to be prepared? And that's what it's like me. I'm here. I'm involved. But none of us here are exempt from putting in work. None of us are. I have to put in work. And I want to be honest with you. I have to put in more. I, 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 me personally, I think I have to put in more work. And I'm not saying I'm putting in more work. I'm saying I have to put in more work. And I mean, me personally, I must push myself a little more to do what I have to do. And you may say, well, but that's just the heart of a person that knows, you know what? God wants something. Am I prepared to give God what He wants? Because He's looking for what He wants. Am I prepared? Am I? Because when you say, I'm going to be honest with you, no one right now, right now has come to the place where it says, I can give God anything He wants or all He wants, whatever, whatever. You are being developed day by day to give God more of your heart. To give God more of your time. To understand, okay, there's certain things that that's just not for me anymore. God always deals with us. So, but by that, He's still developing us for someone else. So, Luke chapter 11. Let me make sure I got into the right place. I put down 11, it's 10. Luke chapter 10, verse 38. Now, it came to pass, as they went, that He entered into a certain village and a certain woman named Martha received him into her house, which is a good thing. And she had a sister called Mary, which also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. But Martha was cumbered about much serving and came to him and said, Lord, dost thou care that my sister hath left me to serve alone? Bid her therefore that she help me. And Jesus answered and said, Martha, Martha, thou art careful and troubled about many things, but one thing, and I told you, one thing is needful. We have a lot of cares, my brothers and sisters, but there is really one thing that is needful. And really, that hasn't changed throughout the times. It's always been at His feet. That one place that is needful, He said, And Mary had chosen that good part which shall not be taken from her. Go to John chapter 12. We're ending with these scriptures in the last few minutes. John chapter 12. John chapter 12, starting at verse 1. Then Jesus, six days before the Passover, came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, which had been dead, whom he had raised from the dead. There they made him a supper, and Martha served. Martha loved to serve. Martha had serving down. And some of us have serving down. We can serve. But is it with the heart that God wants us to serve with? Are we doing the needful thing? Are we doing the thing that is required, that good part? So he said, Then took Mary, I love that, Then took Mary a pound of ointment and spicknard, very costly, and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. And the whole house was filled with the odor of the ointment. Then saith one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, Simon's son, which should betray him, why was not this ointment sold for 300 pence and given to the poor? Then he said, this he said, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and had the bag and bear that was put therein. Then said Jesus, let her alone, for against the day of my burying hath she kept this. For the poor always you have with you, but me you have not always. And I love that because 
and I made mention of this, Mary and Martha, it's constant, it's interesting how you always find Martha in the same position, but you find Mary not only in the same position, but you find her developed in her position. She's at a place where she is developed in what she gives to the Lord. The Bible says that it was something that she had been preparing. It cost her. She knew exactly what to do because she had been in the presence of God. Martha was still about serving. And and there's nothing wrong with serving. But God still said, but there's a, a more needful place. There's something that is needed. See, so we know how to serve at Church of the Living Word. We know how to serve well. We know how to prepare our services. We know everything that's going to come up in our services. When we prepare next gen, you know how to develop your skits. You know how to develop your panelists. You know how to do everything. But are you doing the thing that is needful? And that which is the better part. That better place. That part that God says, I'm well pleased. Because that's the only part that's going to develop us. We may be a blessing to other people, but are we being developed? Are we being the people that becoming the people that God and you can only do it there so when we come and, and see you and this all goes back to that so what does this have to do with being under authority all those times that we're just busy and that we're doing what we want to do that's a violation of authority if you are not taking care of that which is needful you're coming against that once again the discipleship process in your life and in the life of somebody else because somebody is affected by what you're doing See, it's interesting that even when we talk about repentance, God requires a passion from you to serve Him. He requires you to be passionate for Him. I can't explain it, and my, my pastor, my current pastor said this one time, that there is a certain love that's developed in, when somebody cares for somebody. There's a certain type of... There's a different type... I can say this today, and I'm out of time but I have a totally different love that I had for my mom before I started caring for her. It's a different type of love. There's a different type of care. It's a mature love, a mature care. I take care of details, you understand, that I didn't take care of before. That's the care that God is seeking. The detailed care. But that comes in time with a developed love, a mature love, a love where you can say, I truly, pastors, your pastors told you. Your children don't really love you because they don't know how because they have not been developed to love you. But you, when it comes down to our Lord, He expects development in your love. He expects that. So that's what we're talking about. We have to stay under authority because that authority, and I'm out of time, we'll finish this, that authority is going to take us to that place. A developed love. Stand to your feet. This has been a teaching message from Church of the Living Water at Austin. For more information about our ministry, please go to our website at livingwateraustin.net.